0: You might notice uh, this morning that I have actually a very big display of uh, stuff laid out. It's a, it's a sign that, I've, 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 that I've, I'm sure I want to say something about all these things. But I'm not exactly sure what order I want to say it in. Yes, it's uh, sometimes it's so clear to me what point I have to make and sometimes it's just clear to me that I want to say something about everything and I'm not sure what point it's making. And I have a faith that I'll find it out as I go along. Sometimes I'm absolutely sure that I'm always making the same point or attempting to. And that really there's only one point. Um, I was looking at all of you as we're sitting and I'm thinking what what becomes so clear as we sit here you know is everybody's got a different story going on in them. But I think the very shape or the form of what we do here together is uh, if we were playing charades, we would say, "What is everybody doing here?" And we'd say, "Well, everybody is really trying to cultivate some place of peace where they can uh, rest in themselves." Wouldn't you say? Um, do you think of this as a spiritual practice or a religious practice? <laughs> It's all right with me, actually uh, I was, one of the things that I brought along was a discussion between Houston Smith and Elizabeth Lesser, who's one of the founders of uh, Omega Institute, uh, having a debate in letters or a discussion in letters about the difference between spiritual and religious. How many people here would say about themselves that they thought that they were uh, spiritual people? How about religious people? Anyway, uh, the, why, do you, why, do you, why do you think that? Lynn, what do you think? What would you say? Why I'm
1: spiritual or not religious?
0: Yeah, well, what is spiritual and what is religious? Okay,
1: is, well, spiritual to me is the, it's the universal um, energy that we have within us and to access that. And that, that crosses the boards of all cultures and all peoples and is accessible to us all. And the religion part is the story that we build around that, and perhaps the, um, the different means and ways that we evoke the spiritual.
0: What else do you think? Yeah, it is. <coughs> Anybody else want to add? Erin? I consider religion to be more externally
2: oriented, uh, involved in worship, uh, involved in uh,
1: <coughs> concentration on something outside of ourselves. Where spirituality I see as uh, going deeper inside ourselves to I mean, so we I mean, uh, to understand what it is that motivates us and to uh, hopefully
0: to encourage the, the uh, higher ideals to emerge in our behavior. Okay, so process oriented. Where is it going? What else do you think, Susan? What do you think,
1: Maureen? religion to me has its targets of belief, which tends to make my mind a little tighter. Uh huh. And I think the spirituality of spirituality as an inclination of the mind and heart towards more openness. What else do you
0: think? To remind you, I listened to a group of religious leaders on one of his birthdays, and all of his. And there I go back to. Loud, loud.
1: And, uh, I'm. I think about myself. I'm not religious, you know. I was brought up in Buddhism, but as I think about it, all the things they said fit into whatever spiritual belief I'm saying about myself. When when I get to the core of what each of them professes to believe, it sounds the same to me. It's just in the practice of it, in mm-hmm. the manifestation of it, that I don't want to be part of this particular it? Well, mm-hmm. it was done right, really really really
0: really whatever, I have a sense that it you say, I just want to take a little, I'm going to come right away, but just with the idea, if it's done right, somebody left me, probably Elizabeth, because she leaves me cartoons, no? Somebody left for, oh, you left for cartoons today. Thank you very much. Uh, so here are two what looks like uh, Chinese Zen monks walking over a hill in what looks like a Chinese landscape. And uh, walking along and uh, one is saying, I followed this way and I followed that way. And the way to go turns out to be my way.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: so there's two things. First of all, is it my way? Is my way a more authentic way? And is there a way? Where is it going? This is really where I'm thinking anyway. So, but somebody else had their hand up here about spiritual and religious. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: go ahead. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you know, saying again, picking up that line about, let's say, a good word for religion. Houston says a lot of good words for religion here. <laughs> The part about form, because I, you know, I've looked at all of you as we sat here for thirty-five minutes, and I wondered how many of us, on their own, of a Wednesday morning at home at nine o'clock in the morning, would sit down quietly for thirty-five minutes and attempt to uh, establish peace in their hearts. Maybe, you know, maybe a good number of you, uh, and whether it's different, I think it is for me to sit in community and try to do that. It's good for me every once in a while certainly good for me once a week to sit in community and do that, and do it on my own on other times. Um, There's something about being with other people and having them do a form that you do, that whether or not they talk about it or say, oh, this form has done this and this for me, uh, somehow acknowledges that your choice of that form is a good choice. There wouldn't be that many other people doing it unless it was doing something for them. Do you imagine that this is doing something for you? First of all, I want to ask you, do you think that the Dalai Lama is religious or spiritual? Uh-oh. <laughs> Susan says, uh-oh. Is he religious or spiritual? No. Um, who else can you put in that category? Uh, David steindl rast religious or spiritual? you know who he is? Okay. <laughs> He's a Benedictine monk of some um, of some well-known reputations, written a number of books that are probably in our library. Thomas Merton, religious or spiritual? Uh, um, so what we're looking for is good religion, right? <laughs> or ecumenical religion. Uh, uh, Mother Teresa? What makes her both? What makes her spiritual? The work that she did, the way she treated people, the way she lived her life. Um, well, here we, we, one of the suggestions was if we had a good religion that would be okay, but uh, not the a number of people mentioned uh, the, the, some of the complications of religion. One of the things that uh, uh, Houston Smith said at this point uh, since Elizabeth Lessa was finding a lot of fault with religion, he uh, at one point said uh, where, where's the statistic um, about the numbers of people in Berkeley who get fed every day the synagogues and churches of Berkeley unite to serve a hot meal to 200 homeless people 365 days a year and take turns offering overnight shelter in the winter to those who want it where is spirituality in this picture I think it's in that picture don't you um, in the act of generosity you know the, the 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 point at which it seems very important for me to to be paying attention, is the point at which personal experience matches uh, a group commitment. You know, the uh, there's a line from the Buddha where he says, anyone who has shared, anyone who, reco- who has felt the joy of generosity will not sit down to a single meal again without sharing it with someone. So I think that's the point at which uh, the personal joy of generosity, which includes which would really be a, necessarily an experience that people would have internal to themselves, not something that someone else should convince you is a good thing to do or tell you that you had to do. The difference between a personal mandate and a, and a rule that you heard otherwise. And then maybe a person says, well, I need a group that's going to do that. So now I'll join this group that does that. Like this group who does it. I don't know if today is the day that we're collecting money to feed the homeless, but we are one of the groups that contributes to the feeding of the homeless community in Marin uh, one day a month, and we collect here. Is today not the day for that? It's an interesting thing. Really what I want to ask you, your, you to think about today is what are you hopeful is, uh, let me say, let me make it into a question. Do you imagine that, how many people here think of themselves as having a spiritual practice? We'll do it that way, okay. Uh, so, what is your practice? Okay, is your. Mindfulness.
1: More
0: aware. Of what? Okay. Generally awake. Generally awake. What else? Patience. Service. And Generosity. So loving, kindness. loving kindness. How does what we how does the practice you do build that capacity? Okay, so Aaron is suggesting that if we had that awareness that we're talking about, if we, if we were to really wake up, we'd live impeccably. Why? What would there be? It's like a little test, okay? So the people who just came today—they are exonerated from the test. They <laughs> And I really am pulling for it. We would be aware of how all of
1: every action that we had, what the reaction would be around ourselves and
0: others. Okay, so we'd have a sense of karma—that nothing happens. We'd have an insight into karma—that everything makes a difference. That our actions make results how many people here could think in a minute of some action in their life that they would erase if they had if someone came and said you have 15 seconds in which to put in you have 15 seconds in which to write down which action of your whole life you would like to erase from the karmic records would you could you do it in 15 seconds or i've never let them write it down could you think of it in 15 seconds no. <laughs> okay so would you want to? Someone said okay now's your chance today is you know that uh, what, what do they call it when you get let out of prison or something? Amnesty. Today is Amnesty Day you can erase. How many people would get in line to erase? Okay, Okay. Why else? Mm-hmm. So Lynn is saying an, uh, it's an awareness of karma that everything makes a difference. Uh, yeah, yeah, Susan. I, I actually see this is a of and that you have to that So it's a way of taking care of yourself.
1: Yeah, but, and, but that
0: us to that okay, now just pushing a little bit, how does it take care of us? These are very important facts. This is the fundamentals of what we're doing here. Because otherwise, someone look in from the moon and say, all these people sitting there, mm, what could it do? I actually, I, you know, it's not that I'm asking because I don't know. I think it actually is doing something for us. But what? How? I believe that too. So now, how does it do that? No, I'm just just carrying the conversation forward, yeah. greater. So what do you you understand better? Tell me your name, Andre. What do you understand better? I believe it, you're right. So that allows you to, if I understand everybody's actions around me, what does that make me then? More at peace because they can see it's got a reason. They couldn't be otherwise. Now, wait, wait, Susan, right behind you. i
1: like to that the
0: the bottom and then the comes to the, that come of the So, what Susan is reminding us of, this is like a little uh, review <laughs> of uh, fundamental Buddhist principles, Dharma principles is Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, describes what happens to non-filtered apple juice. If you pour a glass of it and leave it on the table, that's the non-filtered apple juice metaphor. If You leave it on the table, it looks very cloudy when you pour it out of the, out of the bottle. But if you leave it, then the, the, uh, the thicker part will settle down, the top part will be translucent. You'll be able to see through it and you'll see through it and see more clearly. Now we come back to as you see more clearly that people do what they do because they can't figure out to do otherwise or because that's natural to them. So we can help them do otherwise if it needs to get done, but we don't have to be mad at them. It allows you to accept. It allows you to accept them also, I think, yourself, which is what Susan was meaning. Now, there you go.
2: Decay and rot, and go into trees, you go
0: into birds, and go into everything. So, once you realize that we're all connected, it's imperative to right? so, us to everything from like the stress and danger. So, what's your name? Yeah. Bruce. So, did you hear Bruce saying the awareness of interconnectedness, which is the awareness again of anatta, that there is nothing separate from anything, uh, calls forth from us a kind of cherishing. We get more careful. Uh, would you want Bruce to go on and say how does that awareness arise in you related to this form or related to
2: Well I came from from a biology point of view. We're I have no spiritualism no religion in my family at all Background and or anything else, also in
0: uh-huh. uh-huh.
2: Mm-hmm. i on me as I've grown older and matured and realized how, how everything is interrelated. And if, I don't have the humor to believe that humans are the only species on earth that are connected to God. And if God is in everything, then how can we teach? That, how do we keep the earth and all the other species on the earth the way that we do? And I felt, of course, when we're all interrelated and we're all connected to
0: divine force. Everybody heard that, yes? So let me say about this, it leads us into a very uh, important discussion, I think, of the role of contemplative practice as, or the way that contemplative practice is one possible way of arriving at that awareness of the interconnectedness of all things and the preciousness of each piece of it. Uh, also thinking is another perfectly good way to arrive at it. It's a perfectly valid spiritual path, the path of the intellect. So that sometimes when, uh, especially people who uh, choose to be involved with a contemplative path, which is mostly uh, what we do here together when we sit quietly, um, sometimes assume that that thinking is a second-class kind of religious activity. That unless you arrive at your awareness in some visceral way, it doesn't count. So I, I, I just want to highlight the fact that I think that I actually, Jung would have said there are four ways to arrive at it and there are permutations of the four, but one is by thinking about it and one is by the emotional responses that come out of us just because we're emotional beings. One is through the way in which we ac- actually, in terms of our actions <coughs> in the world, relate to each other. I don't know whether Mother Teresa was led to what she did by her theology or whether her theology grew out of what she did but it, or whether it became one circle that was constantly building itself that you look in when, you, when, when, when she came to India and saw the amount of suffering whether that motivated her to respond with action and then caused her to feel in concert with what she would have maybe called God's plan and held in that, or whether it was God's plan that brought it to India that augmented it, but in some way to plug into that system that nourished her, going back to what Susan said, as it was nourishing, which is where do we stand in a place that nourishes us as we nourish? Somebody else is going to say something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see, this is a very, tell me your name again. Barbara, you told me that last week. I'm sorry, I forgot it. Um, so, Barbara's insight about as one sits, so in this contemplative path, which is one of the ways of feeling connected in the world, in this contemplative path, one of the things that sometimes happens is the sense of a personal I who owns the story, the owner of the experience, disappears. There's just this breath, just this thought, just this emotion, just this breeze of coolness, just this sound. And that uh, the particular contemplative path of mindfulness meditation, paying attention moment to moment, just this, just this, just this, just this, this, every once in a while shifts the lens so that rather than our usual way of um, uh, egocentric, um, telling the story. I'm having this thought, I'm having this feeling, I'm hearing this sound. The eye disappears, and it's just the sound, or the feeling, or the thought, or the moment, or the breath. And the sense of an I disappearing augments, if it didn't create to begin with, the sense of everything is just happening in concert with everything else, as Bruce said, because the I disappears. Um, I, I, from time to time, remember to tell the story of um, having come home from some period of time, being away with my husband, actually going with him to India to study with an Advaita teacher. And the Advaita tradition very much uh, emphasizes the disappearance, of the awareness of the disappearance of what they hold to be the specious sense, the untrue sense of a separate self hoping that in that moment, one feels the connection to all things. One feels not so tyrannized by, us, by the sense of being of someone who has to deal with this whole story that, uh, that they own. And that that's uh, really the emphatic point of what they see as liberation or freedom. So we'd spent some weeks with an Advaita teacher in India, uh, whose main way of turning people's attention was to, to that, the sense of there's no separate self would be to say, when someone was telling their experience, uh, for instance, suppose they said, um, when I got up this morning in uh, my hotel, uh, this and that happened, and, I, you know, and I'm so angry about that. And uh, he would say, where is the I that's angry? And everybody, you know, every once in a while, a person being asked to identify, where is the owner of that particular feeling of the anger or of the, whatever it was, was that particular event, would be suddenly aware in the moment of looking for it. Where is that eye? Here or there or there or there? And then you could see that they had some actually quite startling experiences. No one, nowhere to be found. Uh, so we spent some weeks with that teacher and then we came home. You get very high when you, in India to begin with because you have to be paying such good attention every minute just to stay. Uh, healthy and also to go every day and go have darshan with a venerable teacher with all of your friends the whole thing is a very exalted experience so you're in really an altered state of wonderfulness the whole time so you ride along on that and and it's true there is no I anyway so but uh, some weeks after we got home um, I met my husband at the end of the day and I'd had some trying day with and I'd been upset with some interchange with one of my children, and I'd said, uh, I'm so mad at whoever it was, and I named whoever it was. I said, I'm so mad uh, because of this, this, and this. And he said, in the very best Advaita way, he said, where is the eye that's mad? And I said, don't give me any of that guff, you know, <laughs> because, uh, you, know, you know, because there's no eye here and there's no eye there, but mad, is present, you know. So at that point, you know, that doesn't have to be owned by anybody. Mad is present and it's painful. So it's a little bit too, you know, it's a little bit, uh, it pulls the question because you can know that there's no I here and there. And this is for Barbara and Bruce and all of us. There's no I there, but nevertheless suffering exists. Uh, suffering exists, it's present, it's not present, it's present, it's not present. So not to negate in any way what you said because I loved it, Bruce and Barbara as well. I think that's why we practice for those moments of realizing there is no I. And hopeful that the sense of a separate I that then takes a story and runs with it is a little bit ameliorated. I'll tell you a story, it's a completely, uh, well, it's a new story, you've never heard it because it happened since last week. It's a completely elementary story, but I've been thinking, it's it's so, it's so a teeny event story, but it's been really, I've, thought about it a lot this week. Um, I live as you, many people know in northern Sonoma County and um, depending on what time in the afternoon you leave to go home the traffic can be really bad. The trip can be an hour and a half, the trip can be two and a half hours depending on when you go. Various reasons the trip was taken a long time Anyway, the final straw, we'll stop the final straw, was uh, I got a ticket for driving alone in the carpool lane, which you probably know is a very expensive ticket. And I didn't mean to be in the carpool lane. It's a new carpool lane that they built around Santa Rosa. It's taken years and years to build it. I was driving up in my car. The traffic was very bad. I got a phone call from one of my family in my car. That person who called was upset about something or other. I was trying to concentrate on their upset, trying to respond to them, trying to watch the traffic, trying to drive in the rain. And I suddenly looked down and I looked looked way ahead and I realized I'm the only person in this lane. (laughs) Then I looked down, I see there's a triangle in the lane. Then I look at my watch, it's five minutes to four, and I think, ah, the carpool lane has to start at three, not four, I'm in the wrong lane. And I say, I'm hanging up now because I'm in the carpool lane and I have to get back in the traffic and I look out and there's flashing lights behind me. So I pull over. <laughs> See everybody. <laughs> it's a nothing story, right? I pull over. It's raining. Here's the patrolman. I say, look, here is the honest to God story. I didn't purposely do that. I really was not sneaking. I, you know, I had gotten a phone call. I was talking to my daughter. She was upset. I was upset. I was trying to help her out. Seriously, just before I saw you, I would have never done that purposely. Just before I saw you, I realized I was in the wrong lane. I was trying to pull out of it. I'm pranking myself. Law-abiding. I am praising myself law abiding i am law abiding I said, please, 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 don't give me a ticket. I I got a speeding ticket a year ago. I can't have another ticket now. He said, "Uh, I need to see your driver's license and your registration. (laughs) So I give him the driver's license the registration. He goes back to his motorcycle. I see, I see him in the window. I'm watching him in the mirror. I, th- I realize he's making a phone call, so I think, good, he's calling up, he'll see. I have a very good driving record. It'll be all right, it'll be all right, it'll be all right. He comes back, gives me a ticket. So I say, uh, uh, he says, listen, um, it's not a moving violation, but I know it's a very expensive violation. So it's not a moving violation, it's just a fine. I'm just doing my job. Um, Be very careful as you drive forward and you ease back into the traffic. He's doing his job, you know, but, so thank you very much, officer. I start out, I'm very careful I get back in the traffic. Driving about two minutes, I'm watching to see him watching me at a rear view window so I mirror. So I get back in the traffic light. Driving about two minutes, I start to think. So you're just doing your job, right? Where were you five minutes ago when that green Corvette going 80 miles an hour was in and out the traffic, <laughs> menacing everybody? Where were you waiting for old women just to track them down <laughs> in Carpool <crowd> Lane? <laughs> <laughs> and the phone rings. As my same daughter calling up and now I'm all upset because you've gotten a ticket on account of me and and, so, and i made the right answer. I said no, 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 don't get upset. Upset is extra we have enough things to deal with. There's no point in getting upset This is exactly the right answer which I'm telling her, you see, and there's no point in getting upset I learned a lesson the officer was just doing his job. He has to do that I'll talk to you later, hang up, two seconds later where was he when that green Corvette was going back and forth? <laughs> and why are people calling me on the telephone in the rain? Whether they track me down? They should leave me alone. What's... And I wouldn't be here in all this traffic if that meeting hadn't gone on so long. I can't believe it that people can talk so long about minutiae. Not important. <laughs> if they had finished on time, I wouldn't be here in the traffic. So I watched the, the irritated mind unstopped just looks for things to further munch on, you know? It's like on a roll, and I pull out the whole day's uh, irritations, not only this, but that, but something else, but something that. It's just looking to vindicate its irritated status. It's like it itches, and it doesn't know what to do with itself, so it looks for every piece of data to scratch on. So by this time, I'm finally up where I live, and I exit the freeway about four miles from where I live. And then I have four miles of a very windy road that goes up and down and around me through vineyards and it's still raining and it's darkening evening, but not quite, you know, not dark yet, dusk kind of coming on. It's quite beautiful and you have to slow down a little bit. So I'm slowing down. I, I'm slowing down because you, you can't whip around so much, but also I'm slowing down and I'm watching my mind now preparing its, uh, its entrance remarks for arrival home.
1: <laughs> and it's
0: rehearsing a dramatic entrance, and it's, trying, it's, it's actually rehearsing various opening gambits. It could come in and say, you can't believe the day that I had today, or being a mother never has an end, or uh, if I told you what went on in that meeting today, you won't be able to believe it. Or, uh, you have no, where are the cops when you need them these days? <laughs> another stuff. So I'm trying out all these different beginnings of stories.
1: <laughs>
0: Just then I come around a corner and there's a jackrabbit in the middle of the road. I'm, you know, traveling along. I come around the corner, there's a jackrabbit in the middle of the road going in the direction, hopping along in the direction that I am now coming. And I slam on my brakes, I skid forward, and the jackrabbit, instead of turning around back, takes off and flies in an impossibly high arc over the front of my car <laughs> and lands in the grass over here, just fine, you know? And I realized that in that moment it, my heart jumped up with that jackrabbit. First of all, I was so relieved that I didn't hit it. And also it was magic that it, you know, fueled by adrenaline. It flew, honestly. It was like a flying squirrel or something. I'd never seen a jackrabbit do a thing like that. So then it's gone. So I'm riding along and I realize I have a choice at that moment. I can either go back to rehearsing the remarks that I was preparing for my entrance or I could go with the jackrabbit story. And I remembered I had, uh, I think I told you I just saw um, Bowling for Columbine a few weeks ago. Uh, I think a really stunning film. And there's one point at which uh, um, Roger Moore is interviewing the people who go out and um, the the news crews from TV stations that are on the mobile units that run out and film stories in in process to the evening news. And uh, so that if something happens, particularly a disaster happens, it could be on the news 20 minutes later and they'll come on and they'll say about it, such and such, you know, film at five and, and you'll have it. And they're being interviewed and they said, well, editorially the, the producers who do the news have a, a kind of a, an understanding that if you have to make a decision between a hold up in a convenience store and a story about the Boy Scouts uh, painting the dining room in an old folks home, You go with the hold-up in the convenience store and they say go with the blood. That's what carries, that's what interests viewers. So it just flashed into my mind, that, that little part from Columbine about go for the trouble. That's what's more interesting to the viewers. So I realized that I have a choice of when I get home, going with the story, going with the jackrabbit. I also, in that moment of realizing that I had a choice, realized that really the reason that I was preparing the Litany of Woe was not because it's a more interesting story. The Jackrabbit is actually way more interesting. But that I was going to tell that story actually to deflect what I expected was going to be some criticism for having gotten a $270 ticket. That really, that was to sort of get myself out of the line of fire. Not have to, what I did when I got home was I, you know, because now, now I was turned on to, tuned into it. Come in, I say,
1: <clears throat>
0: <laughs> I saw an amazing jackrabbit just jump across the road in a way uh, that I didn't think jackrabbits could run. <laughs> and I just got a ticket for driving in the alone in the carpool lane. And but had an extremely long day, and I'm tired, and let's fix dinner. I realized I did the whole news in ten seconds and I could do the, you know, the commentary, like the follow-up story later on. And I'm a good storyteller. Look, I just told you that story in a long time. But really, that's just a story, just a story without... There's a a poem on the back of this book, uh, there's a book called Monk Script that comes out every year. It's writings of monastics or people who uh, live in a monastic style. A poem called "The uh, Pure Joy," pure joy each moment, minus your opinion of it.
1: Yeah, that was
0: it. Uh, I saw an amazing jackrabbit. I got a ticket for driving alone in the carpool lane. I had a really tedious day. I'm tired. I'm hungry. Let's fix dinner. That's the that's the news. That's fine. The reason I've been thinking about it all week is because it seemed to me so clear in that moment that what constituted for me a certain amount of freedom was not having to go with the, with the, with the woe story, that we talk a lot, we have wonderful words. There's a really, this whole conversation we had about what is spirituality about, what are we doing as a practice. Uh, when I started we used words like liberation a lot, liberation and freedom. And what am I liberated from? I think what I am liberated from—well, not liberated. What I am attempting to liberate myself from is the habit of retelling stories that cause me pain and the people around me pain. The habit—the habit of telling stories, mostly protective stories, speciously protective. They don't really protect. them. you know, I could have gone in and done my whole litany of woe, and um, actually probably suffered more. From uh, if I'd gone that way, I'm trying to imagine the the, the conversation after it. Maybe a certain amount of teasing. Uh, oh, mindfulness teacher, could you pay attention to the carpool lane? <laughs> Where was the mindfulness? The mindfulness was, you know, I was paying attention. I was paying attention to the phone call, to the to the problem that I was trying to address. I wasn't paying attention to the carpool line. Mindfulness is not about attention to the carpool lane, it's about attention. So it, 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 at that point I wasn't paying attention to the carpool lane. But later on I was paying attention, or I was able to pay attention, to what I thought was a way of avoiding what I felt as a certain amount of guilt for not having paid attention, for needing to pay this big fine. I think that there's a certain way in which maybe a lot of not paying attention is to avoid the discomfort of feeling we did the wrong thing. That the hardest thing is to say I did the wrong thing. I've been reading um, this last issue of The Turning Wheel. I, I'm hopeful that you all are subscribing to the Buddhist Peace Fellowship and getting the turning wheel as a matter of course with your subscription. Because it's always wonderful. and. Uh, the Buddhist Peace Fellowship is a really worthwhile of support organization. And I, I, I very much was taken. How many people, by the way, do get this magazine? Any? Some of you? Okay. There's an article by uh, uh, Valerie Linnett, who is a winner of uh, the Turning Wheels Young Writers Award. She's 25 years old and um, she vol- she's in New York she uh, teaches creative writing to inmates in uh, prisons and volunteers for um, a local radio show dealing with criminal justice issues. And she writes a very long story about a man who's uh, uh, in jail in, in, a pr- in Attica for a very long time, sentenced to 25 years to life in 1975. he has been there a long time. Uh, for uh, actually killing somebody in a hold up Um, very high on drugs. He actually doesn't remember the shooting himself. He was a young person uh, that has his whole story in here too, a very, very distressing story. And he was very high on drugs. And the point that touched me so much about this whole issue is that in the 25 years, he really has come He's really become a very strong advocate of, a student of the whole side of the uh, criminal justice system that has to do with victims' rights, that as long as I felt abused and victimized, it wasn't possible for me to think about the pain, or to feel the pain that the the family of the person that I hurt felt. And once I did that, a tremendous change happened in me. And in the very end of this, he writes a story, he writes an article, he writes a letter. Contacts the victim's family in 1994, that's 19 years after he begins his incarceration. Uh, Sorry, will not allow me to travel back in time and undo the damage I've done or correct my mistake. When compared to your life, which was so precious and short, An apology seems totally meaningless. Nonetheless, my heart burns with the pain and the reality of what I did tortures and torments me. It never lets me rest or forget that it's because of my thoughtless act that you are no longer alive. Writing a letter to the man that he killed. The family of the man that he killed, there are stories of families of people who were murdered who become uh, very much involved with the criminal justice system and go to work there and work with inmates, talk about the people that got killed. Um, He tells at one point a story about being so tremendously changed by one woman speaking about her son who had been killed uh, and uh, saying about how much it had pained her that in the newspaper article about the son's death they had called him the bartender. He was a bartender in a certain bar, that's where he got killed, and didn't say his name. They called him the bartender and how much it hurt her. And his consciousness turnaround that happened in that moment, not even talking about the moment of the, of the crime or the fact that he had died, but hearing this mother say, it hurt me that he was referred to as a bartender, not by his name, that that particular remark Awoke his consciousness. That was you who said I want to wake up. I want to be awake. I really want to come back to What is it all the people who said if we woke up if we were awake we would behave differently and also the idea of change because the end of this story has to do with uh, uh, the family of the people that uh, uh, the family around the person that this person killed Uh, did not believe that he didn't remember the shooting. They maintained after the 25 years that he should not be allowed parole and uh, the son of the man said, he killed my father, he destroyed my family. He doesn't deserve a chance. At the press conference, one of his daughters said, people don't change, they never change, they stay the same. Uh, John, the man who, about who the story is, is in prison, Later, saw this on television. He was surrounded by other inmates. He said that uh, the other prisoners were all very angry, but he had to hold back tears. That statement denied all the work he had done in himself over the past 15 years, and it stung him very much. So, what I really was thinking about, and what I wanted to, what, what I really think we're talking about, is uh, all the people who said they were spiritual. Uh, you know, even if you didn't say, what's 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 really your thought about change? Do you think we changed? Do you think you changed? Could you say about yourself and you, your practice? Nobody here did anything as horrendous as that. But. Does everybody guess that story? You know how I would re—I'm you know, not, not retell the story, but I'm listening to you and. So you said, I don't know what happened, but I was able to do that. I, my sense is that sometimes we stop telling ourselves a story, you know, uh, about, uh, I wish it was this. Uh, if I hadn't done this, it would be that. If he hadn't done this, it would be that. If this, then that. And that somehow the end of the stories, that all of the stories are, are ways of avoiding saying, it is this, you know. So all the if-only, if I had done this, if he had done that, if that policeman had been out catching the green Corvette, he wouldn't be here with me. You know, all the stories are a way of saying he was here. I was in the carpool lane. It is against the law. And I got a ticket. It's not contingent on, you know, the, the other things in my day. Even when you think about it, like, I've, had a hard, I've had a hard day and I got a ticket a year ago. Those are two truths, but they're irrelevant to the fact that I was in the carpool lane now that... I sometimes think about this practice as radically telling oneself the truth and then saying, that's the way it is. Now what? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. That's the way it is. It's just like this. Yeah.
2: Sylvia, so, yeah, I've
1: uh, since November 14th we have been cataclysmic events and health problems and family, leading to the twenty eighth when my wife is, well, was well as bell broken hip, broken wrist, dogs dying, mm-hmm. the kids sick. My brother's
2: dad uh, was
1: very sick, and my mother-in-law is in hospice. How do I understand? And
0: it looks very different. The last three years did, uh, you know, life nice happened. Yeah. Sure yeah. My favorite line is, nice. <coughs> "Are we having fun yet?" <laughs> <laughs> I really don't mean to. Uh, no. the, the, uh, the, I know this I I am laughing because you are, you. i I am exulting in your being able to play about this. Uh, <laughs> I was about to play further and, and say be really careful with the playing. I, uh, someone who's not here at this point, but someone, this happened about a year ago. I was talking with someone after class whose situation at that time just a lot of things were not working out and at the end of the conversation we knew each other well as a person I knew intimately and well for a long time. At the end of the conversation she said well I take some comfort in the fact that everything is so falling apart it couldn't get worse. And later that afternoon she called me from uh, a, you know, a, a city two, year, two hours from now, from here where she had to travel for, to to go home, and she called and left a message on my machine and she said it got worse. You know, but, and everyone, is, you know, and it's two years later and it got better, because the other part of it got worse is it gets worse and then it gets better and it gets worse and it gets better forever. That's the way it is. It gets worse and it gets better. It's not that exciting when you think about it. <laughs> well, you know, the, the whole thing, there's another whole piece of this conversation about, uh, is it a big deal, the spiritual practice? What do you think about it? I, I give you, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of a, of a hint of how I, why I phrase that in exactly that way. Because on the one hand, I, I think it is you know i i can't I can't imagine an unexamined life, but it's like a, it's not not a question i mean uh i, I think twenty five years ago when we were just beginning to talk about uh spirituality or contemplative practice or words like liberation or freedom or waking up or you know new part of our vocabulary, they're still new for a lot of people um If if if, uh, if I'm writing for a uh, for a publication, well, I'm pretty careful about this. But sometimes if I'm reading or editing someone's stuff for some publication in in a mainstream magazine, and people use a phrase like uh, "waking up in their life," it's a very it's a, it's an in term to say "wake up." You know, most of us wake up in the morning. You know, yeah, yes, I woke up this morning. So the we have a sense of. Uh, a uh, heightened attention to one's life, the examined life. Even that you can say, you know, are we having fun yet? And nobody's having any fun there with all of that. And it, uh, but to be able to say, this is, this is the whole irony, this is the whole uh, Zorba. So, you remember the Zorba line where Stephen asks him, are you married, Zorba? And he says, yes, I have the whole catastrophe. <laughs> you know, I have, I have, you know, whatever you have. You could have said no, and I have a whole catastrophe. Because you have the same catastrophe either way. You know, I'm a monastic, and I have a whole catastrophe. There is no escaping the catastrophe. Um, but to be able to say, I think we were more self-conscious about it in those days. We would say, "I've uh, I've begun a spiritual practice now." And in a way I look back, and I think uh, uh, someone asked me this last weekend. They said. Uh, how old were you when you began your spiritual practice? So, I, you know, I figured five or four or whenever you figure you had to make yourself comfortable in your life, you know. Went to nursery school and I didn't like being away. I had to make myself comfortable one way or another. You have to figure it out. Uh, you know, how am I going to make it? Okay, I like this glider swing that they have in the corner. I'll just sit in this <laughs> glider swing all morning. I actually figured that out. It's one of my earliest memories. Was, do you remember those little glider swings where you sat facing two other little people? And back and forth, I like that. That was the best thing about that whole nursery school. So I spent a lot of time there. But I think we spent a lot of time in our lives figuring out, sometimes more skillfully than others, what's going to make this uh, more comfortable for me now. Uh, I I want to go back to Elizabeth Lesser for one minute, talking about spirituality. Uh, Da, 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 da. She's, she's actually reading from, she's actually quoting from a book called The Holy Longing. See if you relate to this. Uh, there is within us a fundamental dis ease, an unquenchable fire that renders us incapable in this life of ever coming to full peace. This desire lies at the center of our lives, in the marrow of our bones, and in the deep recesses of the soul. At the heart of all great literature, poetry, art, philosophy, Psychology and religion lies the naming and analyzing of this desire. Spirituality is ultimately about what we do with that desire. What do we do with our longings, both in terms of handling the pain and the hope they bring us? That is our spirituality. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Spirituality is what we do with our unrest. I believe that religions emerge to respond to our unrest. This is Elizabeth Lesser still talking. They help us find peace as we struggle to reconcile in irreconcilable human issues like how do I live a generous and moral life and at the same time, how do I follow my bliss? How do I make holy choices when these two urges for service to others and service to myself meet in the crucible of my daily life? How do I balance my conflicting longings for individuality and community, freedom and responsibility, power and meekness, wildness and civility? That's her question. Is it yours? (laughs) Lynn says yes. (laughs) Any one of those spoke to you particularly or just the whole thing? (laughs)
1: Way. So, well,
0: moderation. moderation. Um, I wanted to say something about uh, paths. How many people would say? well you don't have to do that, I'm going to say how many people would say the principal path is mindfulness. It doesn't matter. I don't. Want
1: to,
0: you don't have to do that. I think we're all paying attention. I think we're. All, I was paying attention when I decided that the glider made me more comfortable than anything else in that nursery school. And I was paying attention to what was the most comfortable thing, and I went for it, and it caused the least trouble. And it kept me in school. OK. So it, I think at any step of the way, we're figuring out where will I make myself comfortable. And, and I think maybe I would add to it, uh, cause the least difficulty for everybody else around, because we have a sense of wanting, not to cause difficulty. I think that's innate, don't you? That an empathy for not causing. Discomfort, because when I said how many people would erase, everybody said they'd erase. I think that empathy comes naturally with the package. But I also wanted to ask how many people would uh, how uh, who would would answer a question? Well, let me make the question right. Since we've begun to talk about spirituality and waking up and liberation and freedom, which we've done it in a more uh, broad way in the last 25 years than the history of religious practice. Before then, people would say, what are you? What's your religion? Do you have a religion? And people say, well, I'm a this or I'm a that, I'm a that, I'm a that. Uh, It's in the last 25 years, people have begun to say, well, I did, uh, I did, uh, I did Est and I did uh, um, uh, TM how many people did something in the last 25 years? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's make a list. What did you do? Huh? Bioenergetics. PM. Gestalt therapy. Jungian analysis. Lifespring. Pathways. And s Forum. Forum. What else? Dharma. Secret Dharma, Dharma. Tibetan Buddhism, this Buddhism, Breathwork.
1: Breath work,
0: yoga. Yoga. What were you hoping for with all? I mean, most of the things I've done as well. So I mean, what would what did we want? Ease, peace of mind, happiness, happiness clarity,
1: clarity,
0: awareness. awareness. <laughs> huh? Tell me your name. Mary. So Mary's the, uh, Mary, I think <laughs> it's a very important thing to say. I think that, at least for me, it's been important to say Uh, this is something I'm doing, a path. It's a path, right? You know, uh, that having a path connects you to the, connects you, it connects me at least, to the sense of thinking about where I think that path is going. Mm -hmm. You know, that I have some sense, even in the earliest times where people having paths just have paths because it was a thing to do, that I think there was some sense that the path took you someplace, that I I probably am much more, Um, thoughtful now in terms of listening to a path about being able to ask where does this path supposed to go like what you remember in the beginning and it sounded like we're having a Dharma test and people say I'll get I'll get uh, I'll be taking care of myself and uh, being able to serve myself and serve others you say how does that happen not by magic you know that it happens by discovering that uh, that there's no separation or it happens by discovering that my sense of a separate self who owns a story is in fact the cause of the difficulty. If I take any lesson away from this week-long thinking about the jackrabbit and the choice, it's the lesson of remember, Sylvia, you have a choice. So if you wanna go this way now, if you wanna go with the treble, if you wanna follow that edict of the TV producer, go with the blood, you can do that, or you can escape, you have an escape Mechanism available now. What really I'm thinking about is why is it easier sometimes to escape and other times not? Because I'm also aware that it's facile to say you can always escape, because I can't always escape, and and uh, I don't you know I don't know anybody who can always escape. We get caught in our stories and suffer. I am very um, very much think about uh, something that. Uh, uh, I used to call it the third and a half noble truth, that, you know, peace is possible. You know, the third noble truth is that peace is possible, and the third and a half noble truth is that semi-peace is sort of possible, a good part of the time, but not the whole. And, you know, and when I'm suffering, the truth of that moment is I am suffering. Not only I'm in pain, but I'm in pain and I'm telling myself a story about it. I could even say to myself, you know, Sylvia, if you let go of the story at this point about you shouldn't be in pain, or it'd be different if you weren't, or uh, uh, if you were really, this is the worst story, if you were really had any degree of spiritual wisdom, you uh, uh, wouldn't allow yourself to get caught in this story, you know, jackrabbit or no jackrabbit or whatever, that you wouldn't allow, you would see how you were caught, and seeing that you'd get caught, you would let go, My like Barbara said, let go of the story. Who knows? I don't actually think I let go of anything. I think in moments of grace, my mind relaxes and something falls away. If I could do it by dint of will, I would do it a whole lot more than I do. What?
1: So the one thing that the choice is, is the most important. But for me, what I'm doing is, as each event has happened, I say, okay, it happened. You know, this is painful to me. I said, but what is? You know, there's something good and something bad. Things happen. For me, what I would try and do with with your say Well, the guy gave me the ticket. Because I got the ticket I was much more conscious of the of the road as I got there. And because of that, as you said, you hit the brakes if you were going a little bit slower. If you'd have been going a little bit faster, you could have smacked the rabbit. For that rabbit I paid two hundred dollars.
0: <laughs> well, okay, so it's a very good example. I would have paid two hundred and seventy dollars for that rabbit too. When you think about it, but and and no, exactly, you're right. And I want to give myself and you know, I certainly want to give us all slack for being able to say this is the third and a half noble truth. You know, at this point, and and by and, and that's a wonderful story. I remember that at this point, when I suffer and I can't get out from the suffering is really the point of of, uh, really learning a little bit more compassion. You know, that sometimes you suffer, and you suffer because you suffer. You see the way out of the suffering. Even you see the way out, you can't do it. You can't negotiate it. It doesn't stick. It doesn't hold. And that is, I think, the point at which, if we recognize is the rock-bottom truth for all of us, fundamentally, with the best attitude in the world and the best training, we're going to get caught sooner or later, I think. And then we say the bottom line is suffering, there's a wonderful line from, I, I remember at the end of some Dharma talk, years and years ago, someone else, not me, gave a really inspiring d- Dharma talk. I can't remember what the whole talk was about, but I remember that in the final sentence, this person quoted Thomas Merton and said, it's all suffering and it's all compassion. And fundamentally, that's where, what were you going to say, though? Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a very hard thing. What's your name, Betsy? It's a hard thing. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I think the best thing that we do for each other is we come here together every Wednesday morning and talk to each other about how are you negotiating this life, the whole catastrophe, whatever it is that we've got. And how are we going to stay more and more awake to it, um, tell the truth, keep both eyes open, and keep ourselves floating. We're going to laugh, we're going to tell jokes, we're going to look for the possibility of seeing a jackrabbit uh, and using the jackrabbit to get out of wherever we are when we can and holding each other up when we can't, and leaving those possibilities all open. Next week, I will be here, and it's a special week. Um, Two folks from uh, The Faithful Fools, which is a street ministry in San Francisco, are coming, and uh, the producer and an an actress in a production that is uh, uh, meant to raise consciousness about, uh, the ways in which our own fears keep us uh, not paying attention to the situation of other people, specifically the situation in this case of homelessness. And the play that they that this one woman will do, we'll sit together in a normal way in the beginning, We'll have, we'll sit shorter. So I'm also encouraging you to bring any friends that you have, it would be a particular kind of a morning get to have a performance from the Faithful Pools, which uh, otherwise you'd have to go to San Francisco to have. So we'll sit for 15 or 20 minutes, and we'll have the performance, and then we'll be able to talk with the actor, with the producer, why they do this, how that, how it's their ministry. I'll be here with you, so we'll talk as well about how it related in our hearts. And I was going to teach about the Zen ox-herding pictures today, because part of that play is that it is built around the 10 ox-herding pictures. So in one minute, I will tell you that the ox-herding pictures are a series of um, 10 pictures. Uh, I have a, a fairly traditional way of being presented, but, um, and that commentary. They come from 12th century Japanese Zen tradition, and they, they use the metaphor of looking for an ox looking for and the, the ox is meant to be our um, innate consciousness, exploring innate consciousness, what it's like. So it uses that metaphor through the ten pictures right? having the sense, which is why I hope our conversation would move around as it did through what are the practices that you have done? what were you looking for? Where were you going? And the sense that we are all didn't accidentally show up here this morning that, of a sense that this is doing something. We come here for a reason. And that we've all had uh, a various, for myself at least, an awakening consciousness, um, certainly uh, an awakening attention to just uh, an awakening awareness through the last three decades of my life of choosing things, uh, choosing paths that I thought would help me in this enterprise of finding. How is it that I can live in a life inevitably challenged in a way that's uh, filled with ease or happiness? All the things that people said. How will I? How can I do this life? Um, I mean, words like peace. In the, how can I make a peace in my heart and live in the world with my eyes open and 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 in fact make a difference in the world, not withdraw from from it? How can I live engaged and? Uh, and still love it. Um, I actually say that as a possibility, that I uh, that um, that I say it. I say it as a question: How am I going to do it? Which uh, already makes the assertion that I think it's possible. So it's, a, it's already an a assertion made on faith. So I meant, but I didn't te- to teach more about the uh, ten Oxfording pictures. But just to tell you that my sense of them is that they follow uh, a sequence from uh, thinking that there's something to be had out there to discovering, in fact, that uh, by, in fact, following different paths diligently to find that, in fact, it wasn't very far from where we started out and uh, innately part of our very being. And uh, all the people who said waking up or awareness or more consciousness or more alert to, which is saying, in some way, I'm looking for that experience of realizing um, that um, an awakened appreciation uh, and uh, ardent uh, engagement on behalf of inner peace and outer peace outer peace, is a possibility in this life, and that it's part of my own apparatus, I can do it, comes out to be the last of the 10 ox-herding pictures. So that's enough of the beginning, uh, I think. Um I also have so. That's it. Let's sit for a minute. It's after 10. It's after 11. We'll make a a prayer. That um I know a lot of you uh, were uh amongst the people marching for peace on Saturday. And I thought a lot about um how how it seems clear to me that we we could all be advocates for peace with different political opinions, even. That one of the things that a friend of mine said to me uh, when I explained that I would be out of town, I wouldn't be able to go to the peace march. This friend of mine who lives out of state said, well, Maybe it'd be a good thing anyway, they'll all have cameras, they'll be photographing everybody along the, the, uh, kind of the the government will have you on file. And I said, well, the government has me on file from enough other peace marches. So, not thinking about that. I said, besides, I don't think it's a political statement. I think it's a spiritual statement that we could have different views about how the world could come to best to live peacefully. I don't know, I I, I certainly have political views as well, but I could be wrong. But I like to think that I'm not wrong about the fact that fundamentally we are geared to live together peacefully. I like to make that prayer, that uh, in some uh, very large numbers people awaken as they seem to be doing to the possibility of peace.